Godzilla vs. Kong. Nomadland. Sound of Metal. Promising Young Woman. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Minari. Oh, and Capone's on there as well. All these and thousands of other films are available on Cinema Paradiso. To claim your 30-day free trial exclusive to listeners of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, go to cinemaparadiso.com and enter the code CREAKYCHAIR21. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, the show where we discuss all things film, from cult classics and obscurities to blockbusters and Oscar winners, from films about gourmet cuisine to films about bad food, from the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover, to eaten alive. This week, uh, we are unfortunately without Sam this week, but I'm joined by my co-host, Bill King. Hello. Hello. Yes, I don't think Sam could be bothered to be here, could he? I do, I do have a, a sworn statement from him um, that he sent in, um, which which I can read out if that's all right, Mitch. Uh, nah. <laughs> nah, should we just leave it? Should we just leave it? <laughs> let's, hear, let's hear what he's got to say for himself. Yeah, it's, it's written partly in text speech, so um, bear with. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Hello, Creaking Chair Podcast Funds. You got the name wrong there. Um, sorry, I can't be with you this week, but I recently rewatched Mank and realised it's a brilliant film. Perhaps my favourite ever. So I'm spending the weekend watching it on repeat 11 times. I also want to say I hate silent films. Talkies forever. And Buster Keaton was just a clumsy man. Books are better than films anyway. However, like Nick Cage in the film Pig, spoiler alert, because I've missed the podcast today, I will let Mitch and Bill punch me in the face repeatedly till I drop. Goodbye, listeners. I have no respect for you. Um, so that that was from Sam. Um, yeah, hope to hope to wow. see him soon. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Unfortunately, this isn't a, a visual medium or a physical medium because we cannot take him up on his offer. Yeah, we could. We know where he lives, though. But oh no, he's just moved house, hasn't he? <laughs> Clever boy. <laughs> this is all very convenient. Clever boy. <laughs> oh well, there we go. So yes, we'll uh, welcome Sam back to the podcast, no doubt, very soon. This week, as, as uh, trailed, we are talking about the new American drama starring Nicolas Cage, Pig, from first-time director Michael Sarnowski. Uh, before we get into talking about Pig, though, uh, we'll touch on some news from the last couple of weeks. We've got a piece of news to start us off. So, Bill, which uh, legendary director has been in the news recently with exciting reports that they may finally be going to release a long-term mooted film project? Ooh. Ooh I don't know. I don't know. I'm excited now, though. I'm, I'm titillated. Yes. Which long term, which elderly venerated director has not done anything for a long for while? For a long time. Um, so, well, Malik has, so it's not him, is it? Um, no. Oh, shit. It's like, is, is Kubrick, is, did Kubrick fake it? Is he actually still out there? Is he, <laughs> has he just been working okay, on something <laughs> underground? Oh, well. Francis Ford Coppola, uh, he of the Godfather trilogy and Apocalypse Now, he's announced that he's ready in 2022 to shoot his long dormant project, Megopolis. So this is a passion project that's been around since the time of Apocalypse Now in the late 70s. Uh, He tried to get the film off the ground in 2001, apparently, and uh, had set up uh, Robert De Niro and Nicolas Cage to star. All we know about the plot, from what I've read, is that it's a it's sort of set about it's an ensemble piece and it's about uh, an architect rebuilding New York City after a financial crisis. The news that came out uh, just over the last week said that he's looking to cast Oscar Isaac, Zendaya, 
Kate Blanchett and old stalwart James Kahn. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it's a couple of years now. He's now 82. And obviously throughout his career, he's staked everything on realizing the projects that he wants to do. Yeah, so the reports are that he's willing to entirely self-finance the $100 to $200 million budget with revenue from his winery. <laughs> his kids are all thinking, oh, there goes my inheritance. Oh, dear. <laughs> waste it on this crazy film. No, granddad, <laughs> don't do it. We'll make it for you after <laughs> Perhaps a book, perhaps a book. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. No, I, like, I like that. You know, he's obviously still passionate about it to, uh, you know, he could in his old age just be sitting there drinking his presumably fine tasting wine. But he's uh, he's decided to still push it. Got, got a lot of respect for that. Yeah, no, it will be his first film since Twixt in 2011, which I've not seen. But yes, I mean the article. Some of the articles were raising the the point of whereas in the obviously throughout his career he's done that he's very much pushed against the kind of big big studios, and he's sought to do things on his own terms with his own money. Often is that still a viable prospect in twenty twenty one the film and film industry? Well, to some extent, I think I think there is there's still trust out there for for big directors. I mean, you know that some can work within the studio system and get their own stuff made with presumably very little interference like Nolan um, for better or worse and um, some work you know still outside it Tarantino does um, Scorsese's been able to still shop his films around and you know god he Irishman there's some arguments saying that it was it was too indulgent um, to his to everything he wanted there um, so I, I, I surely I, I, I hope it doesn't he doesn't he doesn't lose too much money on it um that's that's the question i think it can get made i just don't know if it'll make money uh, for him but presumably he doesn't care presumably he just wants to break even and uh, and not completely go bankrupt but then again he's maybe thinking you know i'm, I'm 80 odd does it does it matter i could just check into a nursing home and... i guess you just uh, presumably it's just something that he wants to wants to get made i imagine probably he's that's a, yeah that's awesome good for him yeah bill you have a piece of news Yes, so um, the Matrix Four trailer came out this week, The Matrix Resurrections, and I I was not excited about this film at all. I loved the first one. I recently rewatched them all. And the first one, central philosophical starting point, and the whole way it was executed, and the you know do a whole podcast on it, way it changed action movies and sci-fi, excellent, brilliant. But then the second and third ones disappeared up their own asses um, and were terrible. But the trailer for the new one, Matrix Resurrections, came out, and it's a brilliant trailer. I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of trailers and well-made trailers, well-cut trailers, get the right music, get the right shots. This is a fantastic trailer. I'd say it's probably the best trailer I've seen in a year. And I was, I, I was like, you know what? This is great. This is great, the ideas it's putting forward. Um, but then Hideo Kojima, who is a probably the finest video game developer ever, um, wrote a very interesting article on Twitter, and I think this is potentially pretty incredible. So Hideo Kojima did Metal Gear Solid, Death Stranding, and he tries to push video games into another stratosphere of narrative um, thought and, and the, way, the way basically these things can be made. And he believes, and uh, I'm just, I'm just going to get the, uh, the, the tweets up he put. So he thinks that he was, he was looking at the trailer and he thinks, could it be an interactive movie? Because that's what the trailer looked like. The audience can choose between red and blue, different processes and endings. Red advance tickets, blue movie tickets. The colour tones are so are so vivid in the trailer, it feels like a turn to the roots. It's difficult to create a story 
that the audience already knows because the audience already knows it's a virtual world. Realizing this and liberating humanity would be a rehash. Therefore, if you had red movie theater and blue movie theater or red for movie theaters and blue for distribution, is the delivery interaction or does the BD still contain both? So I've since thought about this and gone and rewatched the trailer. And as much as this might be hype and this is what they want, they want to talk about trailer, he could be onto something. Because, yeah, the colour hues in the shots are starkly different. And not just down to the grade, it's down to the actual design. Um, some, of the, some of the hair, some of the clothing, the, uh, the sunglasses, for example. And if, if they have done this, so it's Lana Wachowski on her own for this one. If she has done this, that would be pretty incredible. And I was, I was racking my brains about this because I thought originally they said, the Wachowskis, they were finished with the Matrix. They were finished with it. And then you think, oh, well, money, 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 money. But they said there's no reason to do a fourth story. And they still have pull in Hollywood. They still can do what they want. So there is no reason for them to go back to the Matrix. Obviously, Warner Brothers were pushing for it. And originally, they were going to push for a remake, which was going to be without the Wachowskis. Then Wachowski's come back and said, we'll do it. Is there, a, is there a point where they've looked at the 1999 movie and go, look, we changed movies for a long time with The Matrix. Could they do it again? Because this, that, if, if Hideo Kojima's right, and there is now a lot of talk about this being potentially, oh my gosh, and you look at the marketing, there's, there's two different websites, there's two different posters, one red, one blue. If they pulled this off and say shot two 90-minute movies, so a three-hour movie, this would this would be a game changer and it'd be such an event and it would be in a time when we're struggling to get people to go to cinemas this is a reason to go do it it's a possibility it's you've got one version of the film say the blue pill version is on streaming and then one version is just cinema only i i just think it's it's an interesting one it's an interesting gimmick you could say or or way of making it a more of an event what what do you think what do you think to that idea basically uh, I think that's very interesting. I hadn't, I've not seen the trailer. I've seen it. Obviously, it's been big in the news. I've not seen it, uh, but I did also see that uh, didn't they? Their, their website that they launched had something like a hundred thousand different unique promotional spots. Yeah. So every time you logged on, it told you what time you were on, yeah. um, and basically just kept asking you what time is it. Um, and yeah, it was kind of a cool little thing because I was like, oh, have they just got me to log on at this time and then realized, oh no, they've, they've actually done, it must have been a lot of work and a lot of money. So they're already trying something a bit different, but yeah, I just ever, ever since I saw these tweets, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I was like, it, it could be a genius, yes, marketing ploy or a genius way of, right, let's, let's do a massive event to guarantee some people are going to go to the cinema because you would, you would not be able to watch one version of the film. And if it's significantly different, just streaming, you'd have to go to the cinema to see the other. Yeah. So if they, so essentially, they've they've made two films. This is conjecture. This is conjecture. It's a yeah. possibility, but that wouldn't be unheard of because they shot the, the film's taken a long time to make, um, and they shot the last two matrices back to back. So it's the potential mm. is there. Um, so it's it's literally just bringing forward one of them. I I don't know. I don't know. It reminds me of a like a independent British film that I went to see a few years ago now and I cannot, it was like a test screening and I cannot remember for the life of me what it was called, but it sunk without a trace. But it was the, the gimmick behind this film was that you had to download an app on your phone. And then as the film was playing out, there were various points at which the audience could on your app, on your phone vote basically either way, which the film was going. So, so the film was going, you know, 
presumably oh, yeah, okay. shot numerous <laughs> different scenes and different outcomes that you could go through. Choose your own ending. Pretty much, yeah. And it was, I don't know, I mean, it was a rubbish film anyway, but it, it just felt distracting and you know i'm just oh you know i'm just concerned with looking at my phone sort of thing but this has obviously been around for a while this idea that people are thinking about how can we this this idea i mean it's a good one if they manage to pull it off yeah i can well see that it will obviously it's going to then become the thing that lots of people other people try and do isn't it well i think it just it tie in so well to the film as well as the central premise of the first matrix is you take the red pill and you go into the real world so you buy a red ticket and you go and see you know, the real version. And, and you know, there's all sorts of stuff in the trailer. Like some people are saying like, oh, it's a meta film within a film because you can see the original film playing. So I'm sure they'll have done something interesting, but it's just exactly what it is. But that central idea, I just, I just think with so many films right now releasing streaming and cinema and that killing releases at the moment, um, you know, the example is the Marvel one that did it, Black Widow tanked um after the first weekend because no one's going to go see it again um and they're just going to watch it in the video whereas mm. shang chi which is a completely unknown um superhero has just done really well and it's cinema only so I, I think i think they do still want to have their cake in some ways with the streaming service and this would be a way so i can see the studio lapping it up it fits with the film and i think it is quite interesting and potentially exciting and whip up so yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's probably all bullshit. It's probably just certain scenes are in a red hue and a blue hue, and uh, I and Hideo Kojima have got way too much time on our hands. Uh, we'll see. We'll we'll I'll, we'll we'll let you know at Christmas. Yeah. So it's out. It's out at the end of the year. Christmas. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah right, right. Well. Yeah. We'll try and cover it on the sh- on the podcast, no doubt. Okay. Let, uh, yeah. This week we're talking about Pig. This stars uh, Nicholas Cage and Alex Wolf. Uh, it may still be out in cinemas by the time this episode goes out. Otherwise. Uh, if you're in the UK, it is available on the Apple TV and Chile platforms. It's a very simple setup. So Nicolas Cage plays Robin Feld, a reclusive hermit who lives in a cabin in the Oregon woods. Uh, and he hunts for truffles, which are collected every week by the young, flashy Amir, played by Alex Wolf, who then supplies them to high-end restaurants. Uh, Robin Feld is all alone in his cabin, except for his foraging pig, who is his loyal companion. So when one night assailants break into the cabin and steal his pig, Robin is hellbent on finding out who did it and recovering his pig. With the and with the reluctant help of Amir, they set about following up connections in Portland, where we learn that Robin, as a former top end chef, is still held in high regard by the city's restaurateurs. Uh, we also learn that Robin had retreated to the forest and shunned society after the death of his wife Laurie. So, Bill, what did you what did you think about pig? I I absolutely loved it. I adored it. I, I, thought, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And to start with, the imagery was beautiful. It um, really just like, you could almost like taste and, and smell it. Um, and, and because the film dealt so much with, with cooking and, and food, I think that was really important. But the, the nature side of it as well was just shot so, so beautifully. You could just must feel the texture of it. Um, I wish I'd seen it in the cinema um, with, with sound design, echoing around me because watching on a laptop I really don't think I did it justice but I could it just felt it just felt so earthy um and and real I I, I really love that I love I'm a big fan of Nicolas Cage um his uh his more off the wall um performances uh the Wicker Man remake um and uh and you know his, his his great performances as well but this this was really different Cage to what I've seen before like his for one thing, he was unrecognisable. You know, this this misshapen, um, raggedy, 
putting a lot of weight for the role, um, massive long hair, matted beard, and and barely speaking um, at all. Like he, he did not have many lines, and it was all all his mannerisms. And I, I thought I thought that was fantastic as well. The way he moved, and you you notice things like as he as he's in the the forest at the beginning, he's shuffling around. He's he's quite slow. As he comes into the city, you see him getting more confident and more assured. And the way he moves around a kitchen uh, starts to starts to show you, okay, this guy's this guy's top of his game. So it was really very very subtle performance and so well executed. I loved I loved that everything was off kilter and a little removed um, from our world. And and you know they've turned pork cuisine and uh, and high end restaurants into some sort of underground you know almost almost gang related secret society of, of cutthroat that you don't want to get into this business you know it's it's worse than like the drugs trade or mafia it seemed genuinely scary these and uh, well i know i know the truffle trade and and certain like kind of um, high end ingredients are like sought after and there is there is like a black market trade but they've made it so much cooler and slicker and uh, and, and just Really unexpected that they they choose to do that. It's a great idea, great idea. It almost reminded me of a, a slow John Wick. John Wick did the same sort of thing of this this heightened reality fantasy world that exists alongside our own, but this did it in a in a far more realistic and um, and, and just more well, excuse the pun, palatable way. Um, I love that the uh, the underground fighting pit was this underground subterranean hotel uh, literally existed beneath, and it's all about I think. The film, you know, was was saying this thing of like you've got the the restaurant that you're in, and then of course behind the scenes is the kitchen, and you don't see that world, the behind the scenes world, but it's the engine, and it is quite um, brutal. You know, anyone that's watched a Gordon Ramsay documentary, you know, um, kitchens are pretty fast paced, they're scary, they're hot, and there's a lot of shouting and knives. So that was really cool. Um, I loved, I loved that. You know, the setup is ridiculous when you write it down or try and give it the synopsis, but. It kind of worked and it made sense within its own uh, within its own framework. Like it was fine. You kind of you understood each character why they were doing what they were doing, and uh, generally were along with them for the ride for it. Um, and it never descended. You know, I was a bit. I, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to enjoy this when the fighting pit scene began. I was like, I can see where this film's going. Um, you know, I thought, oh, he's going to turn out to be a master assassin or something. And you know, I don't know, maybe his wife was eaten alive by pigs, and uh, and he was going to get revenge. I was like, okay, it's going to be that sort of film, but then it it didn't go there. It really didn't go there. It uh, it didn't. No gunfights. No no. You know, Nick Cage going chefs do that sort of long kiss good night knife play, which I thought could happen. Uh, no kitchen fight scenes. It was it was all beautiful. I won't ruin the denouement of how his final showdown with a villain, but I thought that was excellently done and and quite emotional actually. Alex Wolf, brilliant! Like such good buddy, buddy movie dynamic between them two. Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say, an unexpected joy, an unexpected joy. I think, I think you really, really will enjoy it. Like a cross between John Wick and Ratatouille, um, with with Babe in there as well. And um, yeah, I think on the pig versus cow debate, which I know Sam would feel very strongly about, I think pig wins. I think I'd rather have that pig than uh, than that cow. From first cow. I think I'm with you. Yeah, I think it would be more. Yeah. It's a more interactive companion, isn't it? The cow is very, very docile, gentle animal, yeah. and and useful. Yeah. And docile just stands there. Um, I think the pig would be healthier because I think truffles, because they're so rare, you can't eat a lot of them. Whereas the cow, if you were making clafoutine every day, you're just going to pile on the weight, aren't you? Um, I mean, that's so that's not the only thing you can make with milk. <laughs> oh, is it not? Oh, can you do other stuff? <laughs> 
<laughs> you have a very fancy diet. <laughs> I thought that's the only what a cow is used for. Can they be? Can, are they useful for other things? I did not know this. Lot, lots of other things. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. But then, so can a pig as well. Um, anyway, rather than just truffles. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I, I really do agree with you on all of that. I thought this was quite wonderful. It really got under my skin. I found it really affecting and moving, and it's it has stayed with me over the course of the, the last week or so. I think, yeah, you you touched on on it really. I think the key to the film's success for me was its sort of disarming simplicity. I mean, all the scenes are really are executed really simply and deftly, but in so doing, they convey this and capture a sort of genuine power. I, I felt. I mean. Because alongside the simplicity, and this is exactly the the word that you use as well, there is this slightly off off kilter aspect to it that I really enjoyed. So characters don't really say what you expect them to do. It's not aiming at realism. It's more poised and crafted in a way that you know films have to do just right, or else it's quite jarring. But it works here really well, uh, and in much the same way, the film kept surprising me. So I love the fact that I had no real idea where it was going to go next. At one point, when they visit the the underground fighting den as you say i thought oh no this is just you know i, I had whereas you were quite excited by that i was a bit like my heart sang a little bit yeah. and i thought oh they're just gonna go down this fight club route and yeah i don't i don't know if i was excited i think i was just like oh, okay this is where it's gonna go and i thought i'll enjoy it but this this stage you know i'd say this was this was a genius film and it, be, it became a great film i think it had still been a good enjoyable film but it had been a lot more disposable if it had gone that route Whereas this this one, as you say, it stays with you, gets under your skin, and you can recommend it to a wider audience. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, with that. no, absolutely. You know, there's there's the left turn where you where you sort of don't expect it compound confounds your your ideas of where it's going to go. And yeah, no spoilers, but the way in which that dramatic climax is achieved, yeah, it's it's almost in an offhand way, isn't it? It's so effective. It does make me really excited to see what Michael Sanosky goes on to do next. I mean, he could be the could be the arrival of a of a really great new talent there yeah yeah i think the role is ideal for nicholas cage i mean what a what a mercurial performer he is i mean he's he's on a roll isn't he in terms of finding yeah. fascinating independent filmmakers that allow him to really flex his acting muscles there's none of his trademark mega acting here is there this performance it's so restrained it's largely subdued apart from a couple of high emotional moments and he 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 really does convey all that world weariness and the sorrow and grief that the film's trying to channel I also love the fact, the way that he just he doesn't wash at all throughout the film. He he goes to Portland uh, and in these luxury restaurants where he's got dried blood all over his face. He looked like he must have smelled <laughs> awful. It's just it's really... yeah, you could you could sense that, couldn't you? And, and yeah, I'd, I'd like constantly just want it's like oh, just wash your face. Presumably, you go into the toilet, just wash your face, Robin. <laughs> Oh dear. I mean, uh, and there's a number of the scenes do pack some real emotional punch. So I think the the scene where Cage is sat on the back step of his old house with a little kid, mm. the scene in the high end restaurant where he forces his former employee, who is now the head chef, to dispassionately assess his success, and you know, in the context in the context of what he wanted to achieve years ago, you know, it's a great scene that because at the start it's very it's laugh out loud funny i mean when the waitress is spouting all that bullshit about the power of truffles and cage is sat there just filthy and stinking but then it pivots to being really powerfully effective you know powerfully uh, emotional it's a really really clever scene and the same with the dinner scene towards the end when you realize the significance of, of what's going on it really hits you with a with a real punch and of course and you know the, the final scene is equally fantastic the great needle drop 
the Cassandra Violet cover of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire. It's very wonderful end to a, a really wonderfully beguiling and odd film. You know, it's yeah. a simple film. It's about a guy who's lost his pig and wants to find it. And in a way, that's all there is to it, while also being about so much else as well. You know, loss and grief and trying to find some meaning or connection that sort of makes sense of those experiences. So, yeah, really did love it. Yeah, uh, yeah I think it's it's more than, like, one thumbs up for me. I'm putting two thumbs up. I know I'm breaking the rating system here, but that, that's, yeah, that's how good it was. Um, so, yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to see what Sam thinks, but yeah, it's three thumbs up from just two people today, I think. Yeah, I think I might add, add another thumb as well, I think. It's oh four thumbs. Oh my god, you get four, four thumbs. thumbs. Jesus, this is the highest rating ever. <laughs> and we've got one less person. That's how good the film is. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, it is certainly, if we do a 2021 roundup of the favourite films, I can well see it being very high up there. So, You'll know more about how... Yeah the industry operates than I do, Bill, but do you think there's much chance of a, an awards campaign for Cage with this film? I mean, he won Best Actor, didn't he, in 95 with Leaving Las Vegas, but... Yeah, I don't see... I don't see why not. I think... I'd have to look at when it's released, because there's, there's the thing, isn't there, about, like, kind of films have to be usually in a release bracket. So it was released in, in July, I believe, on the Neon yeah, in America, on the Neon platform. Yeah, you see, that doesn't doesn't often lend itself to i mean i think i think it, you'd be looking at um you know does it do well and uh some of the more you know the independent spirit sort of awards like oscars i've got my views on them but it's it's kind of a closed shop sort of thing um indies often don't do too well and you need kind of a wide release and also it costs a lot of money to get an oscar campaign going um anything like that but uh, I think it could do well in um, you know some of the lesser known and less mainstream awards, um, but I, I certainly think it could get the laurels. I mean, th- the whole thing about um, festival selections is a bit weird at the moment because obviously film festivals aren't really happening yet, but it, it really deserves to, and I hope I hope it does, and I just hope it. I think I think word of mouth will do really well for it because um, because it is yeah it's it's quite unique. I've never I've not quite seen anything like it. I don't think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've really, I've I've been a bit hit and miss with Cage over the years, but he he's won me round. I can see now. Well, that's why. The one, well, well, we need to be careful because we're going to do a Nick Cage special one day. Um, <laughs> but he is just his his peaks and troughs, and oh, that's a pig pun. Um, but his peaks and troughs are just amazing. Like he can be an utter garbage. Like when we uh, watched it on the Chili platform, and um, and it lists like similar films, and um, so we had Pig. And then beneath it, um, so the Nick Cage films are there, were Guarding Tess, which is awful. <laughs> Trespass, which is awful. And then another one, like, kind of, which was just a standard Liam Neeson revenge filler, which is like, Out for Revenge, or like, oh, and like, Bangkok Dangerous. And you're like, these films are utter garbage, Cage. And they're not even like good Cage of just like him going crazy or like, you know, not even enjoyable in a bad way, like the mm-hmm. Wicker Man remake, which you can go and have a good time because it's so fucking funny like it's just nuts like the bees are not the bees i know you didn't have i don't think time. i can ever watch that again i don't think i can it was too <laughs> maybe i will have to revisit it with a generous frame of mind but i just remember being so angry about it <laughs> yeah i mean i mean yeah it's, it's also highly misogynistic so um yeah maybe maybe you can't have a good time um but um yeah he and i just think there's so many levels to him i his sheer amount of films, which yes, there's there's the rumours that he has to do that because of horrific gambling debts. But um, I do think he chooses interesting ones, and I, I think he always he always goes for something, and he always puts his heart and soul into it. And um, and yeah, he's he's been on a real roll. 
And this this could mean though that he goes on these roles, doesn't he? And then Hollywood comes knocking again. He goes and does does like a a big budget film, and then comes back and starts making absolute garbage again. And then does that. so it's 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 just rolling. It's like the seasons, isn't it? It's just it's it's wonderful. It's like a, a, a year of cage, and he's he's currently approaching you know the height of summer. So uh, yeah, winter might be coming. <laughs> Is this? Do you think the best film ever made about a pig? Oof. Right. Okay. So. Let's let's um so Sam showed us a film Sam showed yep. us a film called Pigs and Battleships. There's a lot of pigs um, in that, isn't there? There's a lot of pigs. There's a lot of pigs in that and that was very good. There's obviously um Babe, which is just great. Yes. Um what else is the there? Disney classic Three Little Pigs? I've not seen that one. I've not seen that one. You must have seen I've that. I've seen Three Little Pigs. What the classic from like the thirties? The little pigs, the three little pigs no, and the well, big wolf. I, I just feel I feel like that. I know the story quite well, Mike. I don't really think that. <laughs> I think it's been done to death. You know, maybe if Lana Wachowski can bring out a version that does something different with cinemas, <laughs> and I go to see it in a cinema maybe built of straw, a cinema made of wood, oh, yes. and a cinema made of bricks. That would be an interesting, you know. That's that's interesting to me, but you know, I'm not interested in that. Um, what else? What else? Oh, you like that Animal Farm? That Animal Farm? Animal Farm? Yep. Bad pigs. That, They're bad, nasty bad pigs. pigs yeah. Them. Um, yeah. I, are, I guess pigs are used as a, a threat in Snatch, aren't they? They'll feed you to your pigs. Snatch, yeah. Um, Lord of the Flies, yes, obviously. Yes. The titular Lord of the Flies is a big pig. Um, I think it's up there, man. I think it's up there. I really do think it's up there. I, I, yeah. I think it's better than Babe. I think it's better than Babe. Yes, yes, I think so. I'd have to see it again because you got you can't you got to let these things um, ferment a little bit like a good truffle. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's possibly the best film ever made about a pig. <laughs> we'll have missed something glaring, won't we? But yeah, I well, do let us know if we have missed a, a glaringly obvious pig film. But anyway, there, yeah, there we go. That's Pig director Michael Sanoski. Look forward to seeing what he does next. Um, and you can find that in cinemas, perhaps, if it's still out. Or, as I said, Apple TV, Chile, you'll find it there. Highly recommended. We are proud that support for Creaky Chair Film Podcast comes from Cinema Paradiso, the indispensable subscription medium for the discerning but choice-saturated cineast. That is a lot of needlessly fancy words. This isn't sight and sound, mate. Sorry, I was just trying to be a bit highbrow, you know, for the film fans. He is right, though. It is, it is a bit much. Let me let me have a go. We are proud that support for a Creaky Chair Film Podcast comes from Cinema Paradiso. It's great and has films. Say so that's too far the other way now. Got to gotta find a happy medium. Come on, then. You do it. Support for Creaky Chair Film Podcast comes from Cinema Paradiso, the must-have film subscription service that lets you create the list of films you want to see. All right, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, actually. I'll give you some more, then. Cinema Paradiso makes it easy to buy or rent movies online, wherever you are, whenever you like, and whatever you fancy. From beloved Hollywood classics like Casablanca and Singing in the Rain, to cult classics like Razor Titanic, the best film about Titanic, and Revenge of the Nerds, Cinema Paradiso has hundreds of thousands of films to choose from. And the thing is, it's simple. All you do is create a list of all the films you want to see and Cinema Paradiso send you out the disc, you watch it, you send it back, you get another. And with the promo code CREAKYCHAIR21, that's CREAKYCHAIR with capitalised C's, you get a 30-day free trial to enjoy all that Cinema Paradiso has to offer. That's promo code CREAKYCHAIR21 for an exclusive 30-day trial. Get on it. Oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. Congrats. 
So, Bill, let's talk about what else uh, we've been watching this week. Let me know, what, what have you seen? What have you seen over the course of the last couple of weeks? Uh, well, yeah, just to bring it bring it down a little bit. Um, and um, I, I watched Worth, which is a 2020 film, um, just come out on Netflix. And I kind of watched this just as, you know, it's this uh, anniversary of 9-11 today. Um, and so it's very much been a lot of documentaries and talk about it. And, um, and this is a film that deals with another facet of that story um you know this world changing event um we all we most of us live through um and and it's yeah something i've not really thought about so it was it was an interesting one so directed by um uh, sarah sarah colanga colin gallo directed by sarah colin gallo starring michael keaton amy ryan and stanley tukey and it's based on a true story in the aftermath of 9-11 a lawyer is tasked with settling the compensation claims of the victims on behalf of the government which really interesting premise um, because it deals with America's litigious nature. Um, and, you know, we, we know America is very Sue Sue culture and get your, get your compensation in there. But I'd never thought for a, for a tragedy of this scale that that would still have been going on. I just assumed the government just paid people a lot of money um, and, and it was fine. Um, and that is, that is my own um, ignorance and, um, there in that of course the government's not just going to pay out crap loads of money they're obviously going to fight it a little bit and try and reach a a compromise in many ways which sounds very cold and this film deals with cold facts of that you know the the title is worth and the central premise is how much is a life worth and it deals with civil law um that michael keaton's character's job in the film is to put value on life and all sorts of stuff is brought in there of, of, you know, how much did your husband earn that died in this, in this um, building, you know, as they say in the film, the CEO is in that building and there was janitors um, and there was firemen rushing in uh, quite fascinating actually. And um, quite, a, I, I found it a quite a honest, nicely murky portrayal of, of a very difficult subject. And, and it, it deals with how the nation was reeling um, from this and how it affected America itself. But then it, it really dealt with this this idea of well, life must go on, um, sort of thing, and we need to actually sort this out. And and I think the victims and their families' um, stories were dealt with subtly and, and with grace. But it was also an interesting insight into the legal machinations of a civil suit, which which aren't often dealt with in. I love legal dramas, um, but they're not often dealt with in films because the civil suits. Well, they're just not as exciting, are they? They are. You know, it's 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 there are a few films that are like this. Um, Aaron Brockovich is a, is a classic one, but that was a very much a, a we're uncovering the truth. In 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 this, we know that they knew the issue. So you know, there's the thing about um, the uh, which is ridiculous, by the way, that the firemen's radios weren't good enough. Um, they they were not picking up signal in the high rise towers, which you think the fire service in New York City the Anyway, I won't go on with that tangent, but um, you know that the, these sort of things were known, um, uh, and this 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 was managed to keep it really interesting. I think it kept it interesting because it kept the human story, and it kept um, it was just how can this this character who's who's going in trying to do the right thing? He's a very realistic character. He's not a knight in shining armor or an idealist. He's he's saying, listen, I'm going to try and get the best deal for these families, but we need to be realistic here. All these cases are. It's a negotiation. It's a it's a uh, quid pro quo it's a it's a, a compromise no one his thing is um, his central tenet is no one leaves the negotiation happy they they leave it happy enough to leave the negotiation table so no one's no one's no one's over the moon um because someone's got to pay money someone's got to take some money 
and and yeah, I thought I thought it was it was it was brilliant at that. Um, Keaton and Tukey, just fantastic top of the game actors. Um, and the scenes with them um, uh, when they're going head to head just just crackle. Um, but in a way that's it's not this grandstanding political um, thriller or drama where it's two guys shouting each other in a courtroom. It's very much they're just stood um, around talking quite. Um, reasonably and the two guys you suspect would be friends and could get on and they're just they're just um they're just talking around the issue so yeah i really liked it it's obviously not um the easiest watch and um yeah it does does drop into sentimentality a little bit but i think when you're dealing with such a tragedy and it is necessarily about the human stories i think that's required basically and um and because it is dealing with true stories i think it's necessary and 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 yeah, commendable that that they are told, um, to my knowledge, quite accurately. So that's um, that's worth, and that is on Netflix now. Great. I mean, so that came out last year, did it? And that's sort of slip slip. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. So it's yeah, twenty twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, I've not really looked at the release. Um, I, I assume I think it was released quite small window twenty twenty, mm. um, and then obviously. I don't know if you've heard of this COVID thing that's happened, this other big event. Um, I've sort of forgotten yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you've passed you by. Well, you didn't know about 9-11 either, <laughs> did you? Um, so, yeah, so um, yeah, so that happened, and then I assume that, yeah, it's, it got pushed a bit, and then it's been it's been pushed quite heavily on Netflix now, so hopefully hopefully gets a, gets a good audience. Mm, great. Well, that sounds, yeah, very good, very timely, obviously. Well worth a watch. I've got uh, two slices of pure trash for you, Phil. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Pure, pure trash. So the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, a film called Terminal Island, which is a 1973 low-budget dystopian thriller slash exploitation film uh, by director Stephanie Rothman. It is set on an island that has been established after the abolition in America of the death penalty. And so instead, convicted murderers are shipped to this island and left there to fend for themselves, basically. So it, the setup is sort of like that pseudo-documentary film from Peter Watkins that we watched, Punishment Park, from, yes. uh, which was made yes. a couple of years earlier. Uh, it's kind of a cross between that and Battle Royale. So the film, so it, start, it features Tom Selleck in a, an early role, uh, but the film focuses on a, fresh, a female character, Carmen, played by Phyllis Davis, who is dispatched to this island and quickly becomes subjected into the, you know in this obviously very male environment. And there's only a handful of other women there. And they're kept as little more than slaves but she starts slowly sowing discontent among them and ends up joining forces with a renegade group of other inhabitants who are plotting a civil war against the more established island community i've seen it has been heralded as a kind of a, an early feminist film i guess there's, there's glimmers of that you can see amongst the other rather more stereotypically misogynist hallmarks of early 70s exploitation films but it's just a great setup that just about hangs together satisfactorily over its 88 minutes. Um, there's some pleasing character dynamics that emerge as the Civil War plays out. Some unsavoury characters meet pleasingly gruesome ends. Um, and the kind of just the environment, the landscape of the, of the island is, is well achieved. And you can imagine how I might, you know, other filmmakers like John Carpenter perhaps probably maybe saw it and thought, mm, let's let's take this premise and do it properly uh, in, a, in a different way. Uh, so that's Terminal Island. Um, uh, that's on the movie platform and I believe it'll also be on Cinema Paradiso as well to rent uh, the second slice of pure trash that I watched uh, is uh... <laughs> you just didn't... one slice no, wasn't wanted... enough for you was Two. it? You watched, you watched Pig and you thought it'd be all like filthy and disgusting because pigs live in shit and it actually turned out to be a lovely film, uh, well crafted so you were like I've just not had my trash yeah, quota yeah. 
I've, just let me roll in shit like I've a had pig. my whole cuisine. I want some dirty fast food. <laughs> um, so I watched Plan Nine from Outer Space. Oh my god! <laughs> the... That's not that's not fast food. That's a that's a dodgy kebab at three a.m. Man, that's. <laughs> So this wow, what did you have you seen it before? I've not seen it before. Wow, no. okay, so yeah, let me let's hear this. Um, so this is sci-fi horror from director Ed Wood. Uh, it's written into cinema legend and folklore for being the worst film ever made. Uh, <laughs> released in 1957, made on a shoestring budget of sixty thousand dollars, and yeah, every cent is on the screen. Let's say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the plot, for what it's worth, this uh, is good. This is good. <laughs> So extraterrestrials in flying saucers uh, who want to stop humanity from creating a doomsday weapon that could destroy the entire universe. And these remarkably human-looking aliens have decided to implement Plan 9, which essentially involves resurrecting the Earth's dead, which will then cause such chaos they anticipate that humans will be forced to listen to them. So it has this kind of epic quality about it, doesn't it? Edward famously strived for in his films that this vaulting ambition that could never be realised given the budget that he was <laughs> limited to. So interestingly, it was originally released under the title Grave Robbers from Outer Space. It had a haphazard cinematic release and was then sold to TV, where it was shown on various channels and sci-fi channels and throughout the 60s, went largely unnoticed and languished in obscurity until two film critics then released a book in 1980 called the golden turkey awards which labeled it as the worst film ever made so and so ever since then it's developed this cult classic status the ultimate so bad it's good film mainly due to its irresistible charm so that there is no escaping how entertaining and hilarious this film is you know there's many moments where i thought this has to be a spoof it has to be intentional there's no way someone could make something this bad but yeah, you know, the acting is wooden. The sets are hopelessly dressed. There's a graveyard with wonky graveyards, like gravestones that are clearly made of cardboard. Uh, the flying saucers are little more than paper plates on strings. There are numerous continuity errors and technical mishaps. Sort of boom mics appear in the shot, and there are actors with the script on their knees. At some point. It's impossible not to be wildly entertained. And it's also notable for featuring the iconic actor Bela Lugosi in his final performance. So he died in 1956, so Bela Lugosi, the original Dracula, and he'd shot various scenes with Edward for different projects. So the scenes, he just uses them in this film regardless, including one small sequence where Lugosi is in a graveyard, just sort of walking towards the camera and then spreading his Dracula cape and then walking back into a hedge. And he uses that same shot, that same sequence, about three or four times. And he then has to get this other actor to fill in for Lugosi for the end scenes. For some reason, he picks someone a lot taller who then has to hold his cape across his face to basically fool everyone. That... <laughs> is it ever is it ever explained why Dracula's there as well? No, like, never. No, I can't it's remember. Not, no. no, it's I didn't. I presume not. Why not? Why not? Because he because he's because he's an old man at the start. You know, he's just an old man yeah. who, who then dies and then but then comes yeah, back. Becomes, and, becomes but then back everyone Dracula. else. But then everyone else isn't a vampire, are they? They just come back. No, as various yeah. monsters, yeah. <laughs> so I agree. I can't remember who, which film critic it was who said, but it, it's this. It is beyond criticism. This film now, it's too much part of Hollywood legend. Uh, yeah. It has to be seen to be believed. I think. And the thing is, there are nuggets of promise and intrigue in there. So, like, you know, late on in the film, where they meet, where they meet the aliens, you know, there's this dialogue exchange where they're critiquing the atomic age and the development of nuclear weapons. Which is, you know, 
that's that's all good stuff, and it's all it's also seen as being slightly ahead of its time in the way that it uh, kind of hints at this idea of the government military conspiracy to cover up UFO sightings, which was apparently quite unusual for the 1950s, became much safer ground in the 1960s. But you know, so it's perhaps uh, forging a slightly new path there. So yeah, I mean, it's terrible, but it, you can't have a great time. I don't think it's the worst film I've made because I don't think any film can be said to be. Um... I think it'd be said to be bad, but it's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable film to watch. Like, if you like films, I think you'll get something out of this, and I think you will have a laugh with it. So, I don't know. It's entertaining. So I don't think it can be the worst film ever made. Also, have you seen Ed Wood, the, uh, the biopic? Of, I've not, uh, no. You should no. watch that now. Um, so that was Tim Burton. Um, Johnny Depp plays Ed Wood, and it's fantastic. And it's just, it's just all about just this ode to, um, you know, it's someone that's not necessarily got the talent or the means, but has the dream and the creativity and goes for it. And hey, we we can all sit here and be critics, but we've never made a film, so you know, um, it, it, fair enough, fair enough. He did, he did. He got a he got a film made and he got a cinema release. It, it, from watching Edward, it looked like a very stressful thing for him to do, but. Yeah, it, it, I'd, I'd say watch Edward after this, a nice double bill. And um, yeah, the, the performance he puts across and it's just done very well. And he's, he's an infectious character. He's a sort of, I'd love to work for him. <laughs> It'd have been brilliant. But um, <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd just be thinking, well, maybe maybe we don't put this on the show real there. <laughs> yeah, so that is, that's Plan 9 from Outer Space. I watched that on also on the movie platform. It's also on Cinema Parody, so to rent the DVD as well. So there we go. Uh, quite a mixture of, of stuff for you. The sublime, the uh, true life drama, and some some trash for you. Yeah, yeah there I you think go. we've put, put together a quite a nice three-course yeah. meal there. Yeah. Like Four-course meal, sorry. That's now yeah. quite nice, yeah. Yeah, bit of pork cuisine ourselves. Well, meanwhile, Sam's just been frottering around a wood with a pig, hasn't he? Just shuffling around looking for truffles. The endless quest. <laughs> You'll never find them. Maybe he'll come back, but he better when he's when he's when he's on the next podcast. He better have washed his face. That's all I'll say. You just better have washed his face. for a change. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Bill. Thank you uh, for listening. Join us again. We hope to be back in a couple of weeks' time, uh, where we are going to be doing a creaky chair special all about James Bond. Very excited about this. So, yeah. I'll try not to do the whole thing in my Roger Moore impression. That's a promise. I'll try not to do it all. But yeah, so yeah, what we're going to do? We talk our favourites, talk, talk, talk the worst, uh, best weapons, best and worst villains. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! Try and put put together a uh, sort of ideal bomb film composites of <laughs> of all of them. <laughs> yeah, so join us for that uh, creaky chair uh, guide to James Bond. That'll be coming uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, thanks again for listening. Speak to them. I miss Sam so much. Come back. <laughs> you can go for your truffle on toast now. <laughs> yes, finally. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast. If you like what you heard, it'd mean the world to us if you told someone about the show. Tell them about it even if you hated it. Or even if you just felt really apathetic about it. Yeah, there's no such thing as bad press. If you can leave us a review on wherever you're listening, that'd be amazing. And don't forget, we're on all of the social media things. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, Bebo, MSN Messenger. And that's at Creaky Chair Pod on Instagram and at Creaky Chair on Twitter. And if you search Creaky Chair Film Podcast on Facebook, you'll find us there too.
You can even email us at creakychairfilmpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us your essay about how much we were well out of order with the ice road.